0: We have your Bibles. Turn to the Gospel of Luke. So if you can find the New Testament. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and we're in the 20th chapter in this series looking at the life of Jesus, knowing the truth about Jesus. And the truths about Jesus are life-changing. And look at the passage this morning after having I preached uh, in the first service. I, I'm, I'm going to try to make sure it's a little bit more together than maybe I was shooting all kinds of directions this morning trying to, to grab us where... I, Jesus wants to take us. But I've entitled the message Authority Issues. And Authority Issues is entitled that way because as we think about going through life, we always have people telling us what to do, don't we? Uh, whether was, we can remember back when we were really young and our parents were, you know, they had full authority over us and whatever we did was at their uh, beck and call. And then it continued, because after we got out of our house for a little length of time, we we went to school, then we had teachers telling us what to do, and eventually whenever we finished schooling, then we we got into a job, and then people who were in the workforce were trying to tell us what to do. And even when we reach a position of responsibility where we're leading others, once we move from whatever section of life where we have some uh, power, or at least what we think is power, uh, we move into another part of our life, and we realize our wives are telling us what to do, you know, whatever it might be. We have all kinds of times where people are telling us what to do. But this morning what I want to talk about is obviously the one who should be telling us what to do, and that's who. That's God. And we, uh, we will buck at people's authority in our lives because uh, sometimes we think we're smarter than they are or we've got um, more things going for us and we ought to be the one telling people what to do rather than having people tell us what to do. But if we really understand who God is, God ultimately is the wisest one, and He not only has the power to tell us what to do uh, and the authority what to do, but He always gives us the best counsel and the best advice. And, and really, when you think about the, the people in Jesus' day, they, they struggled with the issue of authority in a pretty prominent person, and that prominent person is who? Jesus. Jesus. And so we're going to pick that up in Luke chapter 20, and, and Jesus has just demonstrated his authority because he's gone into a place of worship, the temple area, and he has just thrashed it. He has kicked out just about everybody is in there because they had made the place where people should be free and open and able to talk with God. It ought to be a house of prayer, and they had made it into a robber's den, which is a f- funny phrase to put it that way, but this is a place where people felt comfortable doing sinful activity, which is, is amazing. But this morning, what I want to do is, is say, well, then what does that have to do with us? Well, it begins with, first of all, our, all of our struggle with, with authority. And how would you answer this question? Do you agree all people have a problem with authority? Yes. And, and it, it, it shapes itself and illustrates itself in various ways, but if we don't like the person telling us what to do, whether it be a coach or a teacher or a parent or someone in a position of responsibility us in a, in a job situation, or they're telling us even we like them, but they're telling us something we don't want to do, all of a sudden, we have a problem with authority. And sometimes we transfer that over to God Himself. And when that happens, when we are in issues where we are resisting authority, you know, how do we somehow reconcile that? Well, we reconcile like they did back then. And the religious people, and this is the the people we're going to look at this morning, when they looked at Jesus' authority and they realized he had a lot of authority because he was able to do a lot, they thought that they had a higher authority than he did. And we're going to try to see that, at least illustrate that from the people he talked to. But Luke chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. This is right after he cleansed the temple. uh, And it says, On one of the days when he, this is Jesus, was teaching the people in the temple... And I shared with you, I think last week, it's amazing to me how Jesus could always be on mission. Uh, I I can get distracted pretty easily in so many different ways, but Jesus, even though he knew they were about to put him on the cross, as the people he was speaking to, most of them hated him. If not at that moment, they were going to hate him and and drive him to be crucified with the Roman Empire, is that he was constantly teaching the truth. But if we wonder what he was teaching, it goes right on and explains it. And one of the days while he was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel. So he was speaking to people who were going to do bad to him. He was doing good to them. He was giving good news to those who would put him on the cross. But then it goes on and says, The chief priests and the scribes with the elders confronted him. Now, most of us in a place like this, we, whatever we are on our faith journey, whether, whether we're still deciding whether we're going to surrender our lives to Him or whether we have made that commitment or whether we've been doing that over years and decades uh, of following Him, it's hard for us to imagine why would anyone confront Jesus? And, and the reason they confronted Jesus is because they questioned His authority. And we're going to see that in the question they asked immediately. And who were the people who were questioning his authority? It says the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. And I was thinking, I was thinking about those three classes of people that were resisting authority, had authority issues with Jesus. And why did they think somehow they could trump his authority? And as I was thinking about it, some of those things were the ways we try to trump other people's authority who are in position positions of telling us what to do. For instance, the chief priests, the chief priests. These were from the Levitical tribe. Why did they think they could tell Jesus what to do? Why did they think they had the ability to confront him? Well, they might have responded, this way: well, we get our authority from Moses. And of course, they, they elevated Moses as the greatest prophet. But we probably often, I don't think we probably ever have appealed to our ability to, to be in charge by saying, well, Moses gave me, gave me that authority. Well, what kind of authority did they say themselves? They saw them as having positional power. They had been given the right, as Levites, to, to run the temple, to run the practices of the worship. And so when people outside of, of their tribe were telling them what to do, they were offended by that. And so they said, our positional power is higher than yours, Jesus, because we're from the Levitical tribe. You're, you're just some, you know, your, your heritage is a little questionable. We don't even know who your father was. Well, how about the scribes? The scribes... And some of your translations might even say they were teachers of the law. and you know, we, we, you know, we know what we can tell lawyers. What can you tell lawyers? Nothing, right? You can tell lawyers nothing, all right, because they think they know it all. And, and really, sometimes we will resist authority when we uh, think we get it from how much we know. Have, have you ever, um, we, we won't say we ever do it, but have you ever been around someone who you couldn't really say anything to because they, they were know-it-alls? You know, they just knew everything. If they know everything, there's nothing you need to tell them because they already know it all. And so they resisted Jesus because they had positional power. They were, they were the teachers of the law. They were, they were scholars. They were very knowledgeable. And then you had the elders. You know, why did they think that they could resist Jesus' authority? Because uh, or it's quite possible that they saw them as not needing to be told what to do because they had already had so much experience and wisdom. Now, since we're all young people in this particular service, um, we, we just have to project this. But have you ever, have you ever appealed to someone, well, the, the, you know, in fact, maybe you've heard this phrase used, you need to do what with your elders? Respect your elders. Why? Because they've got experience. They've got wisdom. And because of that, don't tell them what to do. Just wait for them to tell you what to do. Shake your head like you're still with me, all right? All right? All right, we've all appealed to that at times, right? Either, you know, this, I've got positional power, I'm a little bit more learned higher education, whatever it might be. I went to certain schools that you didn't go to. Or maybe I'm just, I've been down that path a little bit longer. You ought to respect my advice because I've got wisdom and I've got experience. And of course, there's nothing wrong with having those in your, in your repertoire to be able to somehow influence other people. But just because you have a position doesn't mean that you lead well, right? And just because you've had a lot of education doesn't mean you have a whole lot of common. We often, often say this. You don't have a whole lot of common sense. And just because you're older doesn't mean necessarily that you are wiser than other people. But they reacted to Jesus because Jesus was infiltrating and, and confronting them and their positions of, of influence. They, they were the ones that were running the worship and the religious activity of, of God's chosen people. And all of a sudden, he was telling them, you've made the temple. There should have been a house of prayer so people could talk with God. And, and you've made it into just a, a, a den of robbers where people can come in and they're comfortable just doing their own thing. So they had to decide, well, what are we going to do with this? Either we can just take it or we can try to give it back. And so they, they decided to confront Jesus. Well, how did they do so? Well, let's pick up in verse two. And they spoke to him, "Tell us by what authority you are doing these things—the things they had just seen—as well as all his public ministry, or or who is the one who gave you this authority?" Now, hopefully, we all understand the difference between power and authority. You might have the power to do something, but you don't have the authority to do it, right? You might find someone's keys, and maybe there's a description of what kind of car they're driving. Uh, you know that Merle now has a Mercedes, you know, Benz over here? Okay, I, I told him, I, I think I already told you that he can have my, my Hyundai accent and I'll take his Mercedes Benz. But let's say, since he told me that he has a, you know, a red Mercedes Benz, okay, uh, his, his, uh, his kids gave it to him. Well, if he drops his keys on the, uh, on the parking lot, I'm taking them. I'm just telling you, and I'm going to drive his car away. Now, I might have the power if I had his keys to drive his car away, right? But I don't have the what? I don't have the authority. I don't have the right to do that. Unless you unless you give me that right, Merle. Okay. Anyway, so so you can have power, but you might not have authority. And so they they, they could not they could not tell they could not say that Jesus not have the power. He he had done all the miracles. He had just cleansed the temple. He had the, he had the ability to do that. But said, but what gives you the right to do it? They had a problem with authority. Now what I want to do is 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 frame this message in such a way that you, you see the flow of it, but also see not only what they were wrestling with it, it's a lot easier to talk about someone else's problems with authority than our own problems with authority, right? Is what do we deal, How do we deal with authority issues? Well, let me try to pick it up this way. And I want to ask a, a question before we get a little bit further on the text. What can you do when people don't believe, and now we'll talk about the ultimate authority, in Jesus having authority? What do you know? I don't want to follow Jesus because... Jesus is just some figure in history. He was some preacher. He was some religious leader. He was someone that that people liked to understand, hear good stories from it. But he's not in charge. What can we do when people don't believe in Jesus as being the one in authority? You understand what I'm saying? Because that's really, if if a person comes into a relationship with God, they need to believe that Jesus is Savior, but also that he's what? the L word. He's Savior and Lord, right? He's Savior. He has the power to forgive us of our sin, but He's also Lord. He has the authority to be in charge. Well, what do you do when people, I just don't believe it. I just don't believe it. Did the scribes and chief priests and the elders believe that Jesus had authority? The answer is no. Well, how, how was Jesus going to respond to that? Was He going to give him a A 10-point sermon and explain all the reasons why he was an authority? And and what do we do if we follow Jesus? Can we somehow learn from how Jesus did it? Well, I think we can. What can you do when people don't believe in Jesus, particularly Jesus being in authority? And the very simple answer is do what Jesus did. What happened? We already read where Jesus was asked a good question. What gives you the right to do what you've been doing? How does Jesus respond? Let's look at it. Jesus answered and said to them, I will also ask you a question, and you tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Now, what do we learn from that? That when Jesus was asked questions, his, you could almost say favorite response, was not to give an answer, but to ask a better question. Isn't that true? Because his, they ask a good question, what gives you the right to do what you're doing, Where's your authority come from? And he says, okay, before I answer that, you answer this one for me. As you look at John the Baptist, we all know John the Baptist. Where do you think he got his authority from? Often, and this is the applicational point, when, when we're following Jesus and we see the opportunity or need to tell other people about Jesus, one of the things that keeps us from doing it as much as we probably could is we're afraid someone's gonna ask us a what? Question. A, question. a question that we cannot answer. And we're thinking, well what will I do if someone asks me a question? And I want to put it just as simply as possible. Do what Jesus did. When someone asks you a question, simply respond or answer them with another question. Now, Jesus put them on the spot, and then I'll kind of look at the application for us. He says, they reason among themselves, oh, this is a tough question. If we say from heaven, he will say, why did you not believe him? So where did Where did, Jesus, where did John the Baptist get his, his uh, authority? He, he got it from God. He got it from heaven. Well, they, they knew, Jesus knew, and everyone else knew, the crowd, that they didn't follow John the Baptist. And one reason we know they didn't follow John, most of them didn't get baptized by John. So they obviously did not believe him because they didn't do what he said. So they couldn't say that because that made them out to look like fools and also hypocrites because you didn't see him as coming from heaven. Otherwise, you would have done what he did, right? If everyone was convinced that Jesus was from heaven, he was the son of God, then they would do what he said and they would see his authority. So they said, well, what's the other answer we get? Verse 6, but if we say from men all the people will stone us to death for they are convinced that John was a prophet. And and so they realize among themselves, and obviously Jesus was listening in in their thoughts as he was doing that, is that you know to a certain degree, we're people pleasers because if if we get the crowd against us, then we're in real hot water. And so we can't say what is really true about us because everyone will be against us. And often when, when people don't believe in jesus or at least say they don't believe in jesus sometimes it's because of their own convictions but sometimes it's because of their family or their friends and they're afraid what they're going to think and and that's the issue they got to deal with if something is true doesn't matter whether your closest friends or family believe it if it's true it's what this is not a quick trick question if it's true it's what it's true and they were afraid of that. And so they said, uh, we really don't believe it's from heaven, but we can't say that because what would the crowd do to us? And then Jesus goes on and says in verse 7, well, the story goes on. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And so what they did is they pleaded ignorance and said, uh, we really can't answer that question. We, this is one of the questions where you, you got to answer one way or the other, but they just said, well, we'll just be, keep quiet. And then in verse 8, Jesus responds, and Jesus said, then, nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now, that's a pretty brash comment from Jesus, but what it does is really illustrate. If, if people aren't willing to believe the light they're given, they're not going to get any more light. If you're not willing to follow the simple lesson of truth, you're not going to get more truth. And so Jesus said, look, there's no sense getting off on these Questions when you're not open to the truth. Now, the application for us is, and this is where I, I, I implied it earlier, is as we think about the authority issue, particularly the authority issue as it relates to God, which is we're telling people, we're telling ourselves that, that Jesus is God and that not, not only can He come and save us from my sin, our sin, if we believe in Him. But when we do that, we surrender our lives to him for him to be in charge, right? God's now going to lead and rule my life. And, and, and as you think about that, you go, well, that's a pretty big step, right? Take your head like it is, all right? If you become a Christian, you're saying, okay, Jesus, you now lead my life. You, you've, you, you set the pattern. You set the example. You give me the instructions. And to in the best of my ability, by the power of the Spirit, I'll try to do what you say. Now, that's what we're asking people to do when they become a follower of Jesus, to believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Well, w- what if they've got questions? W- what they're saying, well, I-, I would do that if I really believed, but I- I'm not sure I really believe. Well, w- why don't you believe? And then they'll give some objections. But again, this simple truth, following the example of Jesus, is one that we can we can hold on to. When people ask you a question or make an objection, I was reading an article by Sean McDowell, who is a professor at Talbot Seminary, and his dad is Josh McDowell, and he's gone around all the world giving arguments to, to believe in Jesus as being who he claimed to be. But I was reading this article, and it just kind of, uh, kind of shocked me a little bit. He says, that someone asked, well, what do you do when people raise objections to you? Like, well, I can't believe the Bible. The Bible has too many errors in it. Well, I can't really believe in Jesus. I don't think he ever really existed. I think this is a hoax of history. Well, I can't really believe in Jesus because uh, the science is disproved, the Bible, and disproved that that Jesus could even be God. Well, what do you do when people raise those objections to you? How do you answer them? He says, well, I never answer them. You never answer them? No, what I do when people raise an objection to me, I just ask them another question. Because you think in a court of law... We're, we're supposedly, um, if you're the one being charged, you are uh, innocent until proven what? And so the burden is on the prosecutor to convince you, the jury or the judge that you are guilty. It's the one that predominantly has to give evidence to your guilt. And so he said, I simply respond this way. Uh, well, I, I don't believe the, the Bible could be true because there's too many errors. Well, well, tell me, wh- what are some of the errors that you believe that are in the Bible and that you aren't convinced is true? Because what you do is you put the burden on the person giving the objection to give reasons why their objection is true. You know, know, why why do you believe that Jesus never, I I don't believe Jesus ever existed. Well, tell me why you believe that Jesus never existed. And, And whatever question they raise, you just turn that question around and say, well, you give me your answer. Now, you're not trying to be manipulative here is, is they're coming up with the issue why they don't believe. Well, they ought to be able to explain why they don't believe on that particular area. Now, Often, they don't ha- they've heard that, but they don't have extra data to back it up. And if, what if they do? What if they do? You so, say, well, that's a, great, that's a great. That's interesting things to think about. Well, let me think a little bit more about that and get back to you, and then you can go on and later on do some study and read books. There, the Internet is for us as well. You can talk to pastors, and there'll be plenty of things you can share that will give reasons why you believe the Bible is true, why you believe Jesus existed, why you believe science does not disprove the Bible, whatever it might be. And you can come back to them. But often what you want to do is let their objection be one in which they have to explain why. And often they say, well, the reason I, 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 the reason I don't believe the Bible could be true is because there's so many errors in it. Well, you know, and they, and they might put out, well, one place it says there was two angels, one place it said one angel well, is it possible if, in one of the Gospels, is it possible one of the Gospel writers, just like in a newspaper, only emphasized only on the one angel and the other did the other angel, uh, the two angels? And so you can explain some of the things very simply. But if not, you can just talk to someone and there's ample um, answers to questions that people have. But the big thing here is when people respond with objections, don't be intimidated. Simply respond back with an objection to their objection. (laughs) The other thing I would say here in terms of being on the offense is is simply tell them, why do you believe? Well, I know that's why you don't believe. Would you be interested in knowing why I do believe? That's a good question, isn't it? Well, yes, why do you believe? And then tell your personal testimony. And then secondly, what I always do is just talk about the resurrection. Now, there is a man, and that's, you know, Encyclopedia has more words about Jesus than any other person that would ever lived. Uh, even Wikipedia would have a lot about Jesus, if you want to go on the Internet. And, and so most people would, uh, do believe that Jesus existed. I mean, we date our whole calendar, you know, uh, based on his life and death. And, and so the story goes, even from historical documents, whether you believe the Bible is the word of God or not, that there was a man named Jesus who died, was put in a tomb. Three days later, they went to that tomb, and it was empty. How do you explain that? And we have better answers than they do in in terms of their objections. You say, well, that's, you know, the Bible says that there were some eyewitnesses that he died and first appeared to Peter, then the 12, and after the more than 500 people. Would you like to go in the court of law with 500 eyewitnesses that you actually was raised from the dead? And and if you think that was all a big big hoax, then, then why didn't anybody present the body who didn't believe in it? All they had to do was show the body of Jesus and it was all solved. And so then you have a powerful reason why you believe. One, your own personal testimony. And secondly, because the resurrection. How, you, how are you going to explain the resurrection of Jesus from the dead? So back to the, the whole theme of the, the section in the story about Jesus from the writings of Luke. We all have authority issues. We all, we all resist people telling us what to do. That was, a pri- that was the primary issue when Jesus came. Are you going to be Lord or are you not going to be Lord? Are you Lord or are you not Lord? And it was illustrated in the lives of the scribes, the the chief priests and the elders. They appealed to their own authority, but when Jesus' authority was questioned, he questioned their ability to discern authority, and they couldn't even make a statement concerning John the Baptist. But, you know, sometimes people will just, okay, I didn't win this battle, and they'll be comfortable just waiting for another time to get in. On the whole debate, well, at this point Jesus stepped in, and, and what he does here is he deals with the urgency of deciding who really is in charge, who who really is the one calling the shots, and and, and we can do that as well as we think about. It. It's one thing to say it really doesn't matter what you believe about Jesus; you believe what you want to believe, and I'll believe what I want to believe, right? Well Jesus didn't leave us there. Because he said if what I am teaching you, if what I'm saying who I am is true, there's judgment coming. There's judgment. It doesn't really matter what color or what not color. What flavor ice cream you like, right? Cuz I like every flavor of ice cream. But you know, it doesn't really matter what flavor ice cream, you have, but it does matter if Jesus is who he claimed to be and you don't believe then judgment is coming, and it's coming for you. And let me just kind of say one other thing before we get into the section of Scripture here. Many people who hear that say, well, you know, I know I've been hearing this all the time, but that was, people have been saying that to people throughout history. If God is an authority, He's, he's, sure, a patient, he's sure a patient fellow up there, right? Because, you know, the, the world has not ended. Judgment has not come. And so I, I got more time to kind of think this through a little bit. In many ways, that's what the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees were thinking. Look, at we're, we're in control of this religious thing here now as God's chosen people. And, and we're, we're not perfect, but we're a lot better than the Roman Empire. And if, if, if God is going to judge, he's going to judge them way before he's going to judge us. So what does Jesus do? He tells a story. And I put it this way. What, what can you do when people don't realize there's a limit to God who is in authority? Uh, God's patience with us. And do what Jesus did. He told a story. Let's look at the story. Luke chapter 20 verse 9. nine. And he, Jesus, began to tell the people this parable. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. A man planted a vineyard and rented it out to vine growers. Now it's interesting. Sometimes people tell a story and it's just a, it's just a story. Sometimes people tell a story and the more they tell the story, you realize you're in the story. Have you ever had that happen to people? When they say, well, you know, I know this person and they, uh, they borrowed someone's lawnmower, and they never brought it back. Oh, he's talking about me. Everybody understand what I'm saying? Well, when he started talking about the vineyard, they realized this story was talking about them. Because throughout the Old Testament, Israel is the vineyard. It says, and a man planted a vineyard and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey for a long time. And, and as they began hearing this story, they began to realize, oh, this seems, like to, this seems, like about, seems to be God's story throughout history. As God started it all, he created the world the world fell into sin. God did a variety of things and you had the experience of Noah. And then finally God chose a people with Abraham and gave Abraham the responsibility to, to be the light to the world. And he took off. He, he, he's no longer a physical experience. He was talking face-to-face with, with Abraham, but then he was gone. And, and now we, we're in the vineyard. We're the we're the ones that the land got leased, leased to, and what are we doing with it? And the man is God the Father, and the vineyard is God's people, and the vine growers are the religious leaders working the land, and God the Father went on a long journey, has, has not come back. At the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers so that they would give him some of the produce of the vineyard, but the vine growers beat him and sent him away empty-handed, and... And as they're thinking through the story, well, this, is, this is a powerful story. He, he's talking about that when he's away, we, we know that God gets a portion and the, and the, and the owner ought to be giving the, the produce of the land. And he, and he sent a slave. And that slave is symbolic of the prophets that were sent to Israel. The prophets were sent to Israel and say, well, what are you doing with the blessings that I have given you? And, and the people of Israel were a blessed people. And they were given the glories of this world. Just when you read about Solomon and all that he had, people would come and they were just overwhelmed by the, the bounty that God had given them because they were God's people. But what the, the people did to the prophets or the slaves in this story, they gave a deaf ear. In fact, it said they beat him and sent him away empty-handed. If you read about the prophets in the Old Testament, most of them were not listened to very well, were they? and some were beaten to the point where they were brought to the point of death they were sawn in two they were they were thrown in pits they were forced to leave and this is exactly what Israel did with those whom God had sent but God being patient he proceeded verse 11 and to send another slave or another prophet and they beat him also and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed and you're thinking here is here is God the Father sending the message out to his people and say this is what you need to do and to be and and do they listen to his representatives, his prophets, his slaves? They, they, they turn a deaf ear. In fact, they abuse him. But he doesn't stop with just one and two. It goes on in the story. And he proceeded to send a third. And this one also, they wounded and cast it out. How many times does God have to send a messenger for you to hear, hear, hear the truth and respond to him? And you give a deaf ear. And, and yet they have done it repeatedly. And three is just a symbolic number. Of, this happened frequently. And so God says, oh, they're not listening, so what can I do? I need, a, I need to send a better spokesman for me. I'll send them my son. And he presented to send a third, and this one also, they wounded and cast out. The, the, the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. And even going back to John the Baptist, isn't that what happened at Jesus' baptism? We had the the, the the clouds opening up and the Spirit descending on him as a dove. And then it said, There was a voice from heaven, This is my what kind of son? Beloved, Beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. But when the vine growers saw him, they reasoned with one another, saying, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance will be ours. And that's what they were wrestling with at that day. They were saying, Look, at Jesus is. Is getting the whole crowd to follow him. And if we're not careful, they'll take, he'll take all of our power and all of our authority, and they'll follow him. And so if we can somehow kill him, his followers will scatter. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? And, and so he poses the question, well, if you do that to his three slaves and then, then his son, well, what is he going to do? And, and they're thinking, well, Maybe he's just tired of this vineyard. He hasn't even, he's, never, he's never shown up. Maybe he'll just leave it to us. And he says, He will come and destroy these vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. Now, they could probably wrap their mind around, well, we ought to get some kind of punishment. But well, you're going to give the vineyard to somebody else? Which didn't make sense to the, the people of Israel because, look, I, I, we know we haven't been perfect. We've got a checkered past in the Old Testament, but look, at, we're not as bad as Rome. We're not, we're not as bad as the barbarians around the world. You're not going to get rid of us. And when they heard it, they say, may it never be. They just screamed, this is impossible. God would never punish us who are less sinful than more sinful people. And of course, God's track history, he expects so much more out of his children than those who aren't his followers. But Jesus looked at them and said, What then is that? Is what then is this that it is written, The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. And again, using very poetic language, so look at you you're missing the whole truth of God's program. It's all about who is the Stone, the chief cornerstone, all of life. It's like all that building is predicated on what do you do with that cornerstone that, that marks off how it ought to be built. And, and when you miss this, that which is to build up the building, that will be used to destroy that which has been built, and you will be scattered like dust in the world. And that's exactly what happened in 70 AD is Titus and the Roman Empire came and, and just devastated Israel. Now, I'm convinced the Bible says God is not finished with Israel yet. He's going to be faithful to his promises, but the judgment of God has gone down severely upon them. We see a glimpse of that in 1948 when Israel has gone back into the promised land. There is no no nation that's been destroyed for 2,000 years that has been resurrected and, and formed again together. But there hasn't been a spiritual revival in Israel. There are many people coming to know the Lord, but it's not been a spiritual revival throughout the entire land. But the issue here is, is that God's patience has limits. And, and so as we think about the authority issue, how we see Jesus, is he really not only powerful, but the one in charge? For some, it's an academic question. Well, you believe that, and I believe this. Well, that's that's true. Either A is right or B is right. But what Jesus says here in telling this story, look at you need to understand. God has pronounced judgment, and it is coming, and there will be a come, come a time when that patience will run out, and judgment will happen. And it happened to Israel in 70 AD. But the truth is, it happens to everyone who rejects Jesus as being the one in charge, as the one being in authority. And you can see that both nationally as well as individually. Nationally, you know, when you think about the epicenter of where Christianity has been, and and where it spread. You, you, you can make a case that early on, Rome is where it was at. That's where God had done demonstrative things. And, and, and just people came to follow Christ. But, but Rome and those in the spiritual leadership, they, they drifted. And, and you don't see faith in that part of the world today rampant in following Jesus. And then you look in Europe, and there was, time, there, were, there was no greater place than Great Britain where missionaries went out. But now you see very few people worshiping in Europe today. Some have called it a post-Christian world. And then you look at the United States and say, well, you know, look at the United States. There's been more missionaries sent out by the United States than any other place in the world for, for 100 years. But now we see the glimpse of spiritual darkness becoming to occur in our world. And we think, well, oh, well I know America isn't you know, necessarily faithful to the Lord as much as it was in the past, but, but we're, we're not as bad as other countries. Look at God to saying, look at, to whom much has been given, much will be required. And there are some stories right now that in China, there, there are more missionaries coming out of China than America today not in the church that's being persecuted above the ground, but below the ground, the underground church. So that can happen on a, on a global scale, on a national scale, but, but where we're at on a personal scale. It, it, we, we've been blessed in America. Every American has exposure to the spiritual truth about Jesus through the radio, through TV, through churches everywhere, through literature, through schools, everywhere. But just because we've been given a lot doesn't mean that God's judgment will, won't come upon us individually because you can, you can be exposed to the truth, but unless you believe the truth, you experience the same consequences anyone has had throughout history. That being near the truth doesn't mean that you're a follower of the truth. So what's, what's the point this morning? What, what is it that we learn from today? That, that we all have problems with issues of authority. Are are we willing to follow the one who really is the God of this universe? The one who does give the commandments from His hand and from His heart to His people? And and are we, through the Spirit of God, willing to obey that which He's given us to do and to be? And, And then the application, and I think this is where Israel began to be led astray, is that they got so preoccupied with being what they thought were the chosen people that that God would never bring judgment upon their land. And to realize just because we've been blessed doesn't mean we're following the blesser. And and, and if we have been blessed, then one of the the greatest expressions of that is that we are so eager to share that blessing with others. Who who, who in our relational world, our oikos, our extended household, who are the people that we know in our neighborhoods and at places at work and in schools or things we do life with that we are eager to pray for and share the message of Jesus with. Because that's why he's left us here. He's called us to be members of his family and then missionaries to our world telling people about Jesus.